I'm a little nervous that this is too long a list, but I'm going to move, try and move things along here, and we'll see if that works or not. Um, and uh, oh, and so uh, right. Never mind. I'm not going to tell you that because I don't want to. I don't want to pre. I don't want to prejudice the. Cool. What, I want to see what happens. Um, see what happens. Yeah. So right, anyway. I'm checking the date now. It's not April one. Yeah. No. What are we doing here again? <laughs> Podcast, podcast. Um, on the last episode, I need to write this down here. On the last episode, um, which is to say the last episode that people heard, as opposed to the last episodes we did, which were the Ducap, the Not Oshkosh Dailies. Uh, and we had an episode that we recorded before the Not Oshkosh Dailies that only just got published. It's all very complicated. It's like, it's, you know, so This is all your fault. It's complicated, Oh, to- totally. It's totally my fault. Uh, but on the, so on the, on the most recent episode that got posted, uh, we talked about uh, the old Rhinebeck um, fly-in location, the uh, airdrome. Uh, oh, yeah, up, up, in, up in New York. Uh, in New York. Uh, and we heard, um, pretty quickly, we heard from a listener, uh, Stefan B., uh, sent uh, us an nice little email uh, where he said uh, he said uh, uh, dear Jack Chubb and Dave uh, since you asked about old Rhinebeck it so happens I visited them on July 19th 2020 that's like just a few weeks ago all right um, for some open cockpit rides he writes uh, they weren't doing any of the air shows yet but they were more than happy to sell rides in the new standard uh, which is really cool you, you, I'm sure you guys yeah. are familiar with the new standard oh, yeah. biplane it's what a great a old biplane what a beautiful airplane there's one of those at uh, at least there used to be one of those at um, Northampton New Hampshire um, also giving selling rides uh, he goes on he says what a blast uh, he says the folks were most friendly and gave us personal tours of some of the airplanes there including the second oldest flying airplane plane in the world i wasn't really aware of that i'm not terribly surprised because that's the kind of thing they do over there um but this is jack not talking again not not stefan um second oldest flying airplane in the world what what is that by the way do we know uh, that's a good question and he doesn't say um, um while i read you could do wikipedia this time yeah i could Okay, yeah. all right. Uh, he said uh, he said they are open and they're doing these things. He says, and they can use the business. He writes like everyone else. They had a terrible year, um, and and then he goes on. He writes, and frankly, if you're looking for a COVID safe activity, uh, Stefan writes, an open, open cockpit airplane ride is about the safest thing you can do. So I can highly recommend it. Just make sure you call them ahead of time to make sure that they can schedule a pilot. Cheers, Stefan. And then in a pair of PSs, he writes, first of all, he says, bring a face mask. It comes in handy on the new standard for once, not because of the COVID, he writes. Uh, and uh, Which actually kind of makes sense. Uh, you know, the, the wind blast in your face gets, gets controlled by the... There's uh, oil coming back from that engine. Yeah, well, there you go. And that's bugs. A, and, you know, <laughs> bugs. And, yeah. Right, yeah. So face masks, see, it's like this could be part of our lives for a long time to come, even after. Uh, and in his, in his second and, post... And, and, you know, I look better in a face mask. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, see, straight line. I know you did that for me. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll go, yeah, all right, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do with that. Yeah, apparently nothing. So. <laughs> but it's a little it's a little treasure that I'm just totally speechless about how to deal with it. And is in Stefan's second postscript, he writes, he I says, I think can- I lost the tip of my tongue on that. <laughs> I know, huh? Uh, Stefan <laughs> closes by saying, uh, you can actually fly in to old Rhinebeck, he said, but you need to call ahead and, uh, and also be comfortable with uh, 2,200 feet of grass 
uh, with a slight curve um, and also with 100-foot trees at both ends. Uh, he says if that's too much, Kingston Airport is about seven miles away. So, uh, And then he includes a couple pictures. Uh, Piece of cake. Yeah, outstanding. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, 20, no, no. David's talking about 2,200 feet well, grass. Well, if I was light in the Monanza and, and uh, yeah, I could, I mean, a dab, I could do that. Yeah. I do 2,500 feet here all the time. Um, well, yeah, how long is your runway? 2,500 feet. Oh, okay. I thought it was shorter than that. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, see, that's sort of the standard. That's the, 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 for me, the standard is, is oh, now you're so long I've forgotten, but it's like 2,500 feet was my, 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 what's the right word for it? My, uh, my personal uh, minimum. Well, no, it was my, my first runway, my, my uh-huh, training yeah. runway the, yeah. you know, where I learned how to fly. Um, so that's kind of the standard. That's sort of yeah. the, that's the, uh, uh, what's the gambling term? The uh, over-under um, is, is, uh, is uh, 2,500 feet. I had, I had 5,000 feet um, and no runway was more than 30 degrees off the wind. Oh yeah, see, so well, see, so I was I was really kind of spoiled. yeah. You were good to go. See, I yeah. yeah Palo Alto was twenty five, um, with but only one runway. Um, and, but the prevailing winds were incredibly uh, consistent there. Yeah. So uh, Augusta is forty two hundred, and my uh, CFI Don Hicks and I regularly flew about uh, eight miles northwest, ten miles northwest to this little uh, two thousand foot grass strip. That had trees at both ends. Right. And we did my short field, soft field uh, a training there. And I took the Comanche in there once and was almost sorry going back out. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I, I, I hit the gear switch like the instant the mains came off the ground. And that was the difference between having leaves in the in the axles and uh-huh. no leaves in the axles. Uh-huh. Well, you know, depending on the airplane, and I don't recall the Comanche, um, how the gear folds up and, and whatnot, but on the Bonanza uh, and, and some other singles, I think the Cessna piston singles that, re- that are retractable, um, you want to leave the gear down until clearing obstacles because raising the gear increases the drag. On, right. the, on the Bonanza, you have the inner gear doors that drop down into the breeze. And on the, the single-engine retractable Cessnas, the, <clears throat> the wheels pivot 90 degrees right. into the wind, broadside into the wind, mm-hmm. uh, when they retract. And that's going so, to increase drag also. Sure. So during yeah. the actual retraction or or or... What's the opposite of retraction? Extension. Extension. Um, yeah, there's more drag during those yeah, moments. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, interesting side note. I uh, yeah. just did an article on all this uh, for Aviation Safety Magazine. Ah. And here's the, here's the trivia question. Okay. Which two aircraft provide the best example of how much weight retractable gear costs, but how much speed you gain? I actually, I I, I, I don't it's on, remember. It's on, it's on the Aviation Safety Magazine's Twitter. Yes, and but, I, I saw and, it and there. you saw it, so you, yeah. you're, you're yeah. disqualified. Okay, all right. I saw it. Okay, you're both disqualified. We're both disqualified. All right. Never so mind. what's the answer? Just tell people. Well, the answer is. It was is, an interesting stat. No, it was an interesting stat. Yeah, tell, yeah. tell us. The answer is 100, I'm sorry, 100 pounds. 100 pounds. And 15 knots. 
Yeah. Oh, um, that's, that's an easy trade. Yeah. Now, but I'm trying to remember when I read that, I thought, wait a minute, there's a stat, there's an interesting stat that you didn't refer to. I think it had to do with, so you, you talked about what the gear cost you in terms of gross weight uh-huh. and airspeed, cruise uh-huh. speed, uh-huh. Um, but you didn't talk about what it cost or gained you in terms of uh, flight expense. Um, yeah, well, that's an unknown. Um, and there's, you know, there's, you could pull, um, various shops and and ask them what the difference in uh, the cost of an annual for those respective aircraft types um, but though because of the engine perhaps um, there, there there's not going to be that much difference Let, let's let's pick a wild number or let's pick a number out of, out of thin air and call it five hundred dollars okay. Uh, a basic single annual inspection versus a basic um, retractable annual inspection. Mm-hmm. And that's just simply related to getting the airplane up on jacks and swinging the gear and adjusting if necessary and putting taking it back down off the jacks. So, you know, that's a, that's a manpower-intensive task. Right. But, uh, and you have to have the equipment to be able to do that. Um, but that's really all there is involved. No, but I'm talking more about um, the cost of a trip, of a flight. Um, so here's what I was thinking. All right, so you've got you've got two aircraft that are equivalent, except that one has retractable gear and one has fixed gear. Mm-hmm. Right, and we concluded that the difference is 100 pounds of gross weight and 15 knots of cruise speed. Mm-hmm. And I'm presuming that the 15 knots of cruise speed is at a fixed fuel flow yeah it would be in this case okay so basically what we're talking about is going faster at the same fuel burn Uh right which means that you're going to arrive at your destination sooner Mm -hmm. and have less fuel burn and so you've saved money as a result of having fixed gear versus you save money in fuel in fuel now you've also saved money in in wear and tear. In wear and tear, if you're, if you're and counting hours, yeah. And, well, yeah. well, insurance. You're probably paying more in insurance for a retractable than you are a fixed gear version of the same airplane. Oh yeah, okay, all right, okay. okay. Anyways, it's all pretty interesting. That was in uh, which months? That's in uh, September's um, Aviation Safety Magazine, which is cool. coming to a mailbox near you very soon. Near you very soon. Very soon. Uh, and kind of circle back here, uh, yeah. thanks to uh, Stefan for uh, yeah. for giving us this update. I'm, uh, you know, he was like just there. This is clearly during the the, the uh, pandemic, so it looks like you can do it safely if you're if you're so inclined. And he did send us a couple pictures. One from the uh, new standard, um, low over the trees. Looks like a great ride. And then another shot of uh, this might be that oldest uh, uh, flying airplane. Um, he shows the the uh, what would normally be the cowling, except there's no cowling. Um, and I think that's what I'm looking at here. It reminds me of a demoiselle. Yeah, it looks funny though. Is this? Oh yeah, that's the engine. Well, there's no cowling. Distorted because the spinner looks and and the props looks distorted. I wonder. I think there's if there's some sort of lens distortion going on. There could be that. I think there might be some um, um, uh, placard. Oh, that's what that is. Tape to the engine, tape to the propeller. Yeah, or cover. It's it's fluttering or something in the wind, maybe. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Anyways. Unfortunately, he didn't tell us what that airplane is. Um, someone was oh, going to look in Wikipedia, old. but I guess they're not. Dave wouldn't even fly that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, 
Let's see now. It's got shock uh, absorbers. It's got the bungee cord shock absorbers. Yeah. Well, well, this this airplane's been at at, at uh, Sun and Fun. Yeah. Huh. Say again, not what, this exact one, but uh, a uh, another replica like this. Say again, David, what you th- this airplane is? I think it's a Demoiselle. Okay. Huh. Yep. Yep. Those French were pioneers. Got a Briggs and Stratton engine. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Three, cylinders, <laughs> three cylinders, total loss uh, lubrication system. Yeah, well, uh, all, and, uh, all of my vehicles have a total loss lubrication system. <laughs> but one of these days, you'll remember to put the drain bolt back. Exactly. I mean, exactly. Eh, I got to write that one down. Sorry. Um, <laughs> total loss lubrication. Uh, that may have become the title. I don't know. Um, that could be a whole series. Of, of I almost. Titles. I almost. I almost mistakenly reused a uh, a uh, episode title. <gasps> we've we've accumulated so many episode See, titles that now I have to check. I re- I completely don't remember. This is one of my greatest fears as a magazine editor. Yeah, what's that? That I will reuse a photo on the cover with the same tagline or something. You know, yeah. That yeah. Kind of, that, that's the kind of stuff that keeps editors up at night. That's what searchable databases are for. Well, that's that's exactly right. Yeah. So, anyways, thank you, Stefan. We really appreciate it. Yeah, very cool. Thank you. Uh, David, uh, one thing, I don't know if we said it out loud during the episode, but we did postpone this from the last episode, um, talking about this socially responsible air show. Um, and uh, and then you also put another um, air show on. And it's, it's kind of, you know, time time will tell whether these things actually happen, and we hope they do. But um, it, I, I like the idea of giving them a little plug just in case they do. Yeah, um, the first one's an actual air show. That's Air Show London. Ontario, London, mm-hmm. Ontario. Yep. So cool little don't, town. Don't haul ass over to uh, London, England. Uh, they won't be flying there. Or, yep. or London, Kentucky. Or London, Kentucky. London, Ontario, uh, they have black squirrels. Or New London, Connecticut. Uh, no, I'm serious. They have black, you know, gray squirrels. Everybody's familiar with the gray squirrels and their occasional red squirrels. I, we, we were we were doing an event in London, Ontario one time, and we were sitting at an outdoor cafe and two black squirrels wandered really? by. Yeah, they were like just black color. The fur, black, squirrels otherwise, but I'm pretty sure they were squirrels. They looked like squirrels, but they were, they were. And if, if you're thinking about fur. flying to Canada for this, um, London, Ontario is an easy hop. It's an easy hop, although there's. You may or may not be able to land because there's a virtual the wall now, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 you're, yeah, we're not allowed into, yeah, uh, yeah. into Canada at this time. Well, well you never know. Anyways, David, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I interrupted you. London, Ontario. Airshow London, Ontario presents Sky Drive, and they're billing it as Canada's first socially responsible and physically distant air show. And uh, it's September 12 and 13, so you got time to get tickets. Uh, but the deal is that they're going to enforce spacing in the parking lot, and you'll watch the show from your car. Yeah, so, seen a lot of that these days. But that's drive-in air show. A drive-in air show. That's, yeah, that's yeah. what a, like a sunroof is going to have would be worth its weight in gold. There you, you know? go. Yeah, and you uh, go. Or convertible. Our, our very own United States Air Force Thunder Thunderbirds are making their only uh, show appearance in Canada at this event. So. Wait a minute. They can get uh, in, but we can't? I know. What the heck? <laughs> well, because they'll never touch the ground. But that, Well, there's okay. that, too. I don't know if they can do I don't know if we can carry internal fuel for all that. But we got this Arsenal of Democracy flyover thing that someone put up here, too. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's the other one I wanted to ask about. Who wants to talk about this? David, you put it on the list. What, what is the arsenal of democracy fate? Fet? It's a 75th. How do you say that word? Fet, fet, fate? Ar- arsenal? No, 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 no. Fet, I, fet, it, it means like party or celebration. F-E-T-E. Feet? Commemoration. They're right. commem- commemorating the I, 75th anniversary of the end of World War II. All right. Uh, and this is for Washington, D.C., September 24 and 25. And there's going to be a uh, a, a massive flyover uh, to celebrate the end of the war uh, with a lot of uh, World War II aircraft uh, and the flyover. And they're doing it two days. So uh, you can watch it from uh, the mall. Uh, you can watch it from some of the places surrounding D.C., uh, and uh, it's shaping up like it's going to be a good fly on it. They just are blessed with good weather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll be something that you won't see again for another 25 years. Yeah. That that time of year in D.C. is usually pretty good weather, but, uh, you know, it's still hurricane season for that matter. So who knows? And the dates of that, what, David? The dates are, uh, I just said it's September 24 and 25. Okay. And we'll have a link in the show notes. Yeah. Arsenal of Democracy Flyover. Yeah. And if if you don't want to look at the show notes, it's it's. I was going to say dub dub. That's a we say that in uh, in uh, the Apple world. It's www the numeral two w letter w letter w numeral two flyover dot org, dub dub two flyover dot org. Uh, cool. Yeah. yeah. So Jack, what have you been up to? Well, oh, good for you, David. See, I'm so proud of you. That, by the way, Dave passed the test. By the way, that was that was what I was alluding to earlier. That I said I wasn't going to tell you. I didn't want to. I didn't want to prejudice. It. I don't care for either either of you. <laughs> <laughs> but David, hold, David, hold that thought. Uh, David, uh, I just want to go back and say that apparently, now I'm going to play this. I don't know if people will hear this, but I'm going to hear it because I've never understood how these pronunciation symbols work. So stand by one second while I push this little button here. And uh, see, now, according to, you didn't hear that because it was in my headphones. According, according to Merriam-Webster, the word F-E-T-E, um, which means festival or, or let's see now, festival. Celebration. Celebration. Fete. Uh, might be pronounced fate or it might be pronounced fet. Um, huh. That's according to Merriam-Webster's website. So, anyways, there you go. Now you've been educated as well as everything else. Uh, well, that's the nice thing about writing it. I, I, don't, I never have to say it. There, there you go. Yeah. That's why, <laughs> that's why, that's why I don't do radio. <laughs> yeah. Hang on here. We're looking for something. And uh, Okay, David, now I'm ready. Go ahead. So, Jack, what have you, what have you been up to? <laughs> they can be taught. Um, thank it's you, a shame, It's a shame, you know, he didn't know that question was coming. Uh-huh. Um, I'm doing great. I'm doing great, actually. Uh, we were talking before we pressed the record button um, about how um, life is kind of settling into this this thing that, you know, we don't, all, we don't, we don't like, um, and we want to go back to the way it was, but we're kind of like trying to, we're, we're gradually figuring out how to add a few things back into our lives. Um, and so that's that's sort of a big theme for me these days. Um, unrelated to that, um, I, I just want to say that I finally caught up um, on the UCAP uh, episode backlog, uh, which had gotten a little out of hand there for a while, and hopefully we'll stay on track. Now we weren't that far behind; we were about three, four, four, three or three to five days behind 
the schedule that, that I had set for us. Who is this we you keep speaking of? Yeah, I know. Um, so I uh, caught up with the backlog, and uh, uh, you know, I'm kind of proud to say that um, we've. So we're two months now since we changed over to this new kind of idea of doing uh, three episodes a month and changing the format a little bit. Um, and we have succeeded in doing three episodes a month for the for for June and July. Um, we we did now depending on how you count episodes. We either did six episodes, we um, or we did five episodes episodes plus six not Oshkosh dailies. Um, so, uh, so things are going good. So that's been keeping me busy. Um, speaking of lifestyle, uh, I actually got a haircut. This is just so exciting. Oh, I, ah, this was just, oh. I couldn't stand it any longer. I, you know, um, and, uh, so I have a long term, a long time relationship with the woman who cuts my hair. She no joke, 20 years. She's oh, really? Let's, hair. let's talk more about this. Yeah, no, she's terrific. All right. Um, and so, uh, and as a result, you know, I kind of consulted with her website and then spoke to her directly and kind of what I heard about her precautions and her, her attitude was satisfying to me. And so I went in uh, the other day and got my hair cut and it just feels so great. Um, it was really getting out of hand. I have pictures before and after. It's just, yeah. So anyways, I got my hair cut. Um, I made a trip the other day to uh, Lookout Point. I haven't been to Lookout Point in a long time um, because uh, one of my brothers lives there. Um, and, and as a result, I don't like the idea of mixing our germs. Um, and so I've been staying away from Lookout Point. So I went to visit Lookout Point, um, which was kind of, and I went during the day when he was away at work. He's, he's working. He's a, he's been, I mean, now it's not so much an essential thing, but he was judged an essential worker way back when. And so he's gone to work every day all along. Um, but so there was nobody there. I didn't have to worry about trading germs. I stayed out of the house, things like that. And, uh, got a chance to look at the lake. Um, but that, Going to Lookout Point brings me to my last little update on what I've been up to here, which is I, I alluded to this a couple episodes ago that I was trying to figure out how to create for myself a workshop where I could uh, oh, yeah. set up a bench. Yeah. And uh, and um, uh, as of Friday, I have now rented a small shop space in one of the converted mill buildings here in Dover. And uh, it's it's pretty small. Um, it's only 15 by 15 feet, so it's basically the size of a one-car garage, give or take. Um, it, and it, and it although it doesn't have a car, you know, like a, a garage door, I couldn't get a car in there. Um, I do have roll-in ramp access, so I can get motorcycles in there. And that's my number one first goal, is uh, to uh, to start working on uh, on. Cool. Uh, getting a couple of these motorcycles that I've got under canvas um, running again. Actually, let me see if I can find. I may I may trim this out in post production. But let me. Sh- did you guys see the picture? Because I put it on. I Twitter. did. Yeah, I, saw, I put yeah, it okay. on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, um, so that's my little. Uh, yeah, my, that looks good. My little shop space and. Uh, um, I'm gradually moving things in there, and I got to figure out how to get my motorcycle from Lookout Point to Dover. Um, don't you is, have a trailer? I have a trailer, but I don't have a vehicle with a hitch at this time. Oh. Um, so I'm trying to rent a truck from U-Haul or something. Uh, that's that's probably what I'm going to do yeah. because that'll also give me some some freight capacity for moving some other things as well. Um, so more on that later on. So, anyways, uh, yeah, and. Uh, um, so I'm working on my shop. That's a long answer. Usually I give you a short answer, and today I gave you a long answer. Um, so uh, that's that's what uh, my phone is ringing. Stop it. <laughs> um, what's next? Where are we here? I've lost my place. Patreon thank yous. Of course, Patreon thank yous. I shouldn't have forgotten that here. Uh, I uh, 
you know, like I said, uh, uh, we uh, uh, did. A, I'm pleased that we've been doing a good job with uh, uh, keeping up with the new episode rate, and uh, um, I think we've done some good work. I'm really happy with what what all three of us did, um, along with our friends um, during Oshkosh for yeah. the uh, the dailies. Were very very satisfying, and we got a lot of good feedback. Um, and uh, so I just wanted to say that uh, if you listeners uh, like what we're doing here with the podcast, please consider supporting us with a financial donation. Um, as little as a few dollars a month is a big help in covering the expenses of doing this podcast. Um, you can send individual donations to the UCAP tip jar via PayPal. Uh, and we want to thank uh, recent PayPal supporters David and Michael for their uh, donations there. You're just um, making those names up. No, no, truly. I, you're, I, you're, just, you're, just, you're just spiking the punch here. I know. Well, I am trying to spike the punch, but I'm spiking it with genuine hooch. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Another podcast title. Um, so, uh, anyways, uh, you can also become an automatic monthly supporter via the excellent and safe service Patreon. Um, uh, first of all, welcome to uh, one new Patreon member, uh, Christopher, um, who uh, uh, signed up just recently. Uh, and uh, I want to just say thank you to some of our ongoing Patreon supporters. Um, like I said, because uh, apparently because of the UCAP dailies, um, uh, it was a lot of activity there, and I want to just say thanks to a handful of people here, Matthew and Grant and Nick and Jonathan and Arthur and Andrew and Russ and Jennifer and Brian and David and Malcolm and so many others. Um, you folks are the best. Thank you very much. For more information on uh, about providing automatic monthly support, you can check out uh, our uh, page at Patreon, patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace, or you can make a PayPal donation to the email address podcast at uncontrolled airspace.com. And if I'm just talking too fast or making no sense, you can get all this information by clicking on the box in the right-hand column of the UCAP homepage. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com. Ooh, uh, yeah. Uh, a couple follow-ups here from uh, Oshkosh. Not so much follow-ups, just kind of a news since we did the Oshkosh dailies. Um, so uh, apparently, there's a, a outfit, there's a group of people at Oshkosh that are trying to uh, get. Um, a grass runway, it sounds like. Do you guys know anything about this story? I, um, I, I, it sounds like, if I'm remembering the story correctly, and I'm going to reopen it here and, and try and read it, that uh, some sort of routine, sort of, I don't know if it's annual or periodic review of the Whitman Field plan um, has now, um, they've added to it the request to establish, you know, I'm reading from a, what is this? This is an EAA press release. EAA and Whitman Regional Airport representatives met with the FAA airport officials this week to discuss the establishment of turf operations at Whitman Field. Um, so that's kind of interesting. I, you know, it's a funny story because those of us who go to the fly-in every year know that there's there's already turf operations. Is actually there, there are two turf. There's runway. two yeah. exactly right. Yeah. There's two turf airports. There's the uh, um, ultralight, so-called ultralight field, which is now ultralight and LSA field, um, and then there's uh, Pioneer Airport up by the museum. Um, but I guess Pioneer Field does operate all year long, um, but it's. I, I don't know whether it's truly a public. Maybe that's the issue: is that it's not a public strip. It's a it's private. a shame. You know, we don't have some device. Yeah, I know, I know. And the uh, ultralight slash LSA field does not, as as far as I know, does not operate yeah. during during the rest of the year. Um, so I don't know whether they're. And the story didn't have any details, but I'm picturing that they've got a, they've got an idea that there's some stretch of grass parallel to one of the existing runways that they want to designate as as turf 
approved or something like that. Yeah, North 40. Uh, truly, that could be it. Um, uh, yeah, although, because you know, because wh- no one ever parks there. Yeah, well, yeah, during the yeah. show, you know, well, you know, things will change during that week. You know, so, so, anyways, uh, seeking turf operations at Oshkosh. Um, I, I, it sounds like neither one of you had really heard or thought about this. Is it, you, don't, you don't have anything more to add to that, do you? I mean, uh, it, it sounds like a no to me. Not, not me. I mean, the only thing, the only thought that comes to mind is. Is uh, Pioneer Airport would be great, except you don't have access to quant- mass quantities of parking. Right. Right. And yeah, I don't know what the other gutches would be. Um, and I, it's it's. I mean, for for turf operations, it doesn't need to be very long. I wanted to say that it's not very long. Um, it it also has uh, uh, trees at one end, and. Final for runway nine at the other I, end. I'm not saying there's not drawbacks. Yeah. So, but it, if you know if Pioneer Airport is indeed in use year round, as I think it is also. Yeah. Uh, that would seem to make some sense. Just figuring out where to park the the airplanes that come. But right. but I'm not. You know, I don't care. I'm yeah. not second guessing EAA or anything like that. No, I, no, no. I'm not second that. guessing. I'm yeah. just curious. Yeah. Uh, okay. Charlie's probably listening. Um, Charlie, if you're listening, send me an email. Like, yeah. I, and if I don't hear from you, send Charlie, I'm flare, probably going to, I'll bug you and uh, give you a call. See what's going on here. Charlie uh, uh, Becker is the uh, uh, home built and chapters guy at EAA. Uh, the other, let's see, you know, there was another here. What was it? Um, terminal. Terminal. So this uh, was a little bit of a head scratcher for me. Um, they're going to tear down and completely rebuild the terminal building at Whitman Field, which, does this make sense? I, I, I You know, my first thought was the, the, the terminal building they had seemed reasonably okay. It was relatively new. Um, and second of all, there's no no scheduled, you know, um, flights in and out of there, so they don't. They need a pretty minimal terminal. Um, do you guys know anything about this one? <laughs> okay, I'm on my own here. <laughs> we didn't lose David, did he? No, David, you're still there, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so it's... you're gonna leave me twisting in the wind here. Uh, uh, do you think they need a new terminal at Whitman Field? Well, they they. The, the general aviation terminal, that as, such as it was, has been Bassler for years. Yeah, okay. If you've ever flown in and used Bassler, you probably notice that the building's a little long in the tooth. It's not laid out all that well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was for much smaller times. Uh, the other terminal, the big terminal, that was the airline terminal, and they haven't had airline service there in years. 15, 20, 10, 15 years. 15 yeah. years, probably. Yeah, so... Right. Uh, uh, this new facility, 12,500-square-foot building, it's going to have airport administration and Bassler Flight Service uh, in, in, in the structure and uh, be a little more accommodating for the uh, people who fly in. Yeah. At least that's the plan. Good for them. I'm glad. That's good. Puzzles me, but that's good. Bassler, I think, will also have more space. Yeah. Right. And I think one of the... Uh, I think there are probably two attractions here. One, they probably got some some federal money to do this, and why not? Um, but secondly, um, I'm sure Basler um, would appreciate a nicer FBO facility. Yeah, and they're I, tearing down they're tearing down the old commercial terminal. Right. That's, yeah, yeah. that's thirty three thousand square feet that has never been 
since airline service stopped, it's never been uh, uh, fully used. Right. Fully used. Right. Uh, uh, you know, they'd have a business here and there, but they were basically paying to uh, maintain and heat. Uh, you know, a building is probably five times what they really needed. Yeah. So they're going to tear down both the, the old Bassler Flight Service and the uh, commercial terminal and build this one new building to replace yeah. it. And hopefully okay. it'll be designed more in line with modern needs. Sounds good to me. More in line me. with modern needs. There you go. Uh Moving on here. Um, so um, we, we have a, a, a somewhat notable off-field landing of the week this yes, week. We, um, we have a, a, a spacecraft returning from the International Space Station, was unable to make it to the shuttle runway at uh, in it, Cape Canaveral, and uh, as a result had to land out in the uh, Gulf of Mexico. Okay, all right. You're not working. You really, you guys are really going to leave me hanging all episode here, aren't you? Well, uh, it was a, it was a crude it, 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 I know. It's uh, a crude space capsule. I know. I'm sort of. I'm obviously joking here. Uh, this is actually cool. The SpaceX. We're, eventually, Dragon. we're going to rerun the old Rutan joke about uh, the the runway. The it's runway like, in yeah, the east, west, north, south thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, because so it would have been not suitable for the for Endeavor to land on. Um, all kidding aside, uh, uh, the SpaceX Dragon Endeavor spacecraft returned from the uh, space station uh, the other day successfully, and uh, um, uh, uh, quite a, a milestone for uh, U.S. space, yeah, quite, um, quite you know, uh, uh, history, if you will, um, and and scary. I mean, scary, yeah, scary, but they pulled it off, man, without a hitch, as near as I can tell. I haven't yeah, I, I was, you know, fingers and toes crossed and kind yeah. of cringing and, and the whole thing but they pulled it off yeah i mean even even elon musk uh, confessed after the fact that that he was you know nervous and uh, you know did was doing whatever it is he does to uh, to uh, in, you know encourage fate in the right direction um but they uh, they they came down and they land you know and and i seem to remember it the in the at the very tail end of when we were doing these kinds of splashdown recoveries back in the Apollo days, started to get good at being very nearby when the Apollo capsules were, were under under parachute, under canopy. Um, and we and I remember how exciting it was that we were actually saw it in the air coming down and and maybe even saw it splashing into the water. Um, I, I truly expected it this time and was not disappointed. Um, I assume you guys both watched this. Oh, yeah. yeah. At oh, yeah. least have seen the video since. Um, it, it was pretty exciting to see this thing come down and uh, um, under canopy and, um, you know, splash down and um it was funny because the uh, the video that they were funny funny but I, I i took note of the fact that that the video that showed it under canopy coming down and approaching the water that the shot was framed perfectly that as we saw suddenly saw the surface of the water and we also saw the two chase boats um, in the foreground heading towards it, um, so it was kind of like nicely framed for uh, for the the video and, uh, and it was the chase very well coordinated. Yeah, yeah. It really was. yeah. in fact, so well coordinated um, that that they a, a whole bunch of private pleasure crafts. Oh yeah, that's um, got out there. A handful of them got way too close, and that's a whole other story. And uh, shame on them. Um, but uh, uh, it, it seems that a lot of people went out 
out and kept their distance, but got a chance to uh, to experience it, um, you know, a little bit more closely. While we're talking about um, space mission, space missions, yes. NASA this last week launched Perseverance. Yeah, its latest mission to Mars. Now, bear with me a second because I have a question. One of the the instrument packages, one of the features of this of Perseverance, the spacecraft, is that it has a helicopter. Yeah, aboard. yeah. And once you know, again, fingers and toes crossed. Um, once it lands on Mars, it's going to launch this helicopter, which has been optimized for flight in the very thin atmosphere on Mars. Yes. So this is basically, you know, a remote aerial vehicle. Uh, uh, and is eligible, I would think, for a remote pilot <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, certification. Here's my question. Yeah. Who gets to log this time? I don't know. The AI does. Because <laughs> no one's going to be controlling the, uh, the X and the Y. No, they're so. going to have to push a button on Earth that eight minutes later will open a solenoid on the spacecraft on Mars to allow this, this rotorcraft to fly. That's pilot controlled. Yeah, okay. uh, who's going to log that time? I think you've just you've just introduced a whole new category of in the never ending discussion of loggable PIC. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. My my work here is complete. <laughs> yeah, okay. The, the follow up question is. What kind of time do you log? Do you log only the instance you push the button? You log do you all log the time it all the, the time until it airborne. lands. You log, right. log all the time while the craft is airborne. I don't know what you're going to put in for you know the ident- the takeoff and, and landing facilities identifiers, but I'll leave that up to you. Okay. So all right, now you know what? All right. I, the more I think about this, the more. <laughs> I hate to admit it. The more I think about this, the more I think you're making an interesting point, a good point. Um, because tr- truly, if you program your mm-hmm. your uh, um, your uh, autopilot mm-hmm. to fly the airplane, you still get to log that time, well, right? And I'm not an expert on on UAVs or any by any stretch of the imagination or re- remote pilot rules, um, but certainly programmable UAVs exist on Earth, and. Someone has to be the pilot of them, it's the pilot in command of them. And I don't know how that time is logged or anything, or whether it's logged, but it's all an interesting exercise. It is. <laughs> it's okay. All right. Uh, next February is when that uh, yeah. lands on, on Mars. That will yeah. be another exciting space moment. But uh, once again, coming back full circle here, uh, big congratulations to uh, 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 pilots Doug Hurley and Bob Benkin for their successful, um, for getting down safely <laughs> and landing uh, off field uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, Can you call that a ditching? Uh, no, I think that was a landing. It wasn't. It was intentional. Yeah, it was. You know, it's an amphibious aircraft. Exactly right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, so. uh, there we go. Um, uh, I, uh, all kidding aside, slightly more uh, traditional, conventional, conventional, traditional uh, off-field landing. Um, recently, from uh, a uh, uh, someone who on on uh, Twitter is known as Fly Girl Kelly, um, and uh, a, a woman who uh, flies uh, a number of different airplanes. I, I follow her on Twitter and see a lot of her adventures. And she had a, a little bit more of an adventurous moment than usual recently when her uh, her aircraft that I'm blanking on what type it is here. I think it's an RV. 
Yeah, um, had an engine problem and she had to land out um, on the side of an interstate or a highway, anyways. Um, and uh, um, she and she very quickly posted on Twitter um, information about the uh, and pictures about the uh, landing. Um, she said five minutes and twenty six seconds. That's how long it was from the time I declared an emergency until I landed my plane on a highway. Um, Theoretic, she writes, theoretical becomes reality. A few few days ago, reality hit as we were descending that we might not make it, but we did. Um, so, uh, um, you know, congratulations to uh, to Fly Girl Kelly. I wish I knew her. Let me see if I... I'm trying to... I, I think we know this woman from Oshkosh. I'm, I'm not, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, her name's Kelly, but I don't, rem, I don't know her last name. I don't know what she does other than an online presence. Yeah, so... Uh, but she's very, very active uh, evangelist for uh, for both flying and for women flying, and uh, um, and uh, had a scary experience, but uh, but pulled it off here. Pulled it off, and did a good job, and and we'll be able to reuse the airplane. So there's, yeah, there's really nothing like, wrong here. I know. Yeah, and uh, so she says. Uh, yeah, she added hashtags grateful, and then the hashtag fly the plane, uh-huh. and then the hashtag be ready, and then the hashtag it happens. Um, and uh, so, anyways, congratulations to Fly Girl Kelly for uh, safely getting her airplane on the ground. I don't know. I, 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 normally, we talk about these things a little bit longer, but we don't have an awful lot more information. Um, there's, there's quite a long conversation. We'll have a link in the show notes to this Twitter uh, thread or uh, conversation. A lot of people um, giving their congratulations and uh, um, talking about it. But uh, yeah, there we go. There we go. You go, uh, girl. Yeah. Yeah, that was Higdon, by the way. H I G D O N. Yeah, I know. See, I, I, you know, I, 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 I'm very, very. Uh, um, I admire what she did there, and I admire what she does in general. And the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, um, you know, man who likes to think of himself as a feminist, me, um, has a problem with these these nicknames that have the word girl in them. Uh, I was long, long, long ago indoctrinated that uh, that uh, one should not refer to an adult female as a girl. It's not respectful. And, it's not. I agree, but then you come across people, women, who yeah, yeah. refer to themselves as a girl, and that's cool too. They're entitled. Um, but now, what do I do? Right? Because I'm not supposed to. But well, you know. Uh, uh. Anyways, great pilot. She did a good job. Um, yeah. There we go. There we go. David, what have you been up to? What's going on with you in your world? I'm just trying to keep the rock going uphill. Uh, there you go. <laughs> it's a got metaphor to, we've been using a lot lately. Yeah. Got a. Uh, got a handful of stories that i'm working on uh a couple for av buyer a couple for uh avionics news a couple for uh elite traveler magazine uh a little behind on bookkeeping but uh i'm not behind on bills uh and paid off the new bimmer uh week and a half ago and uh Wait a that minute. Felt, How long have you had that? I guess maybe it has been a couple of years, hasn't it? No, I just got this one in April. Oh, okay. This and is, you paid uh, it off. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I sacrificed the avionics money for the y- y- YX because I got to thinking of how much I was going to pay in interest on this loan oh. versus what little I get in interest from the credit union. And thought, well, hell, I can save that much money in a year, year and a half. So take the cash that you got and pay the puppy off. Yeah, yeah I know. And then just keep making the car payments, but into your own account, yeah. and you'll have yeah, the yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so uh, cool. 
It it it, it felt felt good being debt free again. <laughs> uh, doing a story for uh, a late traveler uh, about the fastest business jets and the ones on the horizon that uh, are shooting for cruising beyond the uh, sound barrier. Uh, so it's enough to keep me off the streets and and to fill in the three days a week when I can't go out for a beer and uh, just keeping on going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds good. Very good. Very good. Hey, so I, I, I've been talking with a, a, one of our listeners um, who is uh, a very a very active pilot um, and is currently in, in the midst of uh, IFR training. That's sort of the context of this. Um, and 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 his situation with his IFR training, it's kind of taking longer than he thought, and he's having a little bit more trouble. He's okay. He's, he's you know philosophical about the whole situation in terms of the time it's taking. Um, but he did comment to me, and I guess I commented to him in in conversation um, about the fact that he's he's frustrated by one aspect of this, and that is the the the. Um, experience he's having with various designated examiners out in he's in Southern California area. Um, he's frustrated in two regards. First of all, they're crazy expensive. I, I, I and I don't is this he's telling me that he's paying like a thousand dollars for a check ride, and that's just the fee to the examiner. Hmm. Um, and then the other problem is that um, be, there are so few designated examiners out in his area um, that um, scheduling is a nightmare. I mean, he has to schedule months in advance. All right, um, and and you know, I mean, what you guys experience? I mean, is this is this typical around the country? Are they always this expensive? Is there is there a shortage of designated examiners? And if so, why? I think you just answered that question. What's that? A shortage of examiners means that they can charge exorbitant money. But. If and, they and, can and charge and that much money, why wouldn't there be? Because if there were more examiners, they couldn't charge that much. Oh, you think it's? But that's uh, okay. That's yeah. Um, but uh, who controls? I mean, it would seem to me the FAA is the one that controls Fis, this. And- FISDOs basically have the day-to-day management of, of designated examiners. Uh huh. And and, uh, and wouldn't that? Why would they not be in favor of having more examiners? Because when they retire from the FAA as a FISDO inspector, they'll become a designated uh, examiner. Well, that's uh, uh, that's Burnside, B-U-R-N-S-I-D-E. Um, you, that's you think so, huh? I'm, I'm I'm sure it happens. I'm sure it's also not 100. percent Yeah, um, um, but I'm sure it happens. Yeah, but the quick answer is I don't know. Um, yes, the, the, um, becoming a DE and, and maintaining the DE designation, or I guess is what, for lack of a better word, um, is not, you know, is, is basically at the, the control of the, of the local FISDOs. Whether they pad that, I don't know, but I mean, it's certainly the economics of it certainly seem to offer that opportunity. Um, it's you know you also have to meet some minimum qualifications to be a DE, and mm-hmm. a lot of that involves having some experience in different types of aircraft, doing having done flight instruction, uh, you know all of these kinds of things, and there aren't that many people, I guess, ultimately who a have can, you know can meet 
those requirements, B, want to become a DE. Mm-hmm. Want, want to do check rides. Check rides, especially nowadays, it used to be they were not, how should I put this? Um, not as well regular, not as fully regulated. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, these days, there's a lot more frou that goes with uh, doing a check ride, both from the standpoint of the examiner and the examinee than, say, 20, 30 years ago. Um, so that's that may be part of it also. Did they say what aircraft the check ride was going to be in? 172. I'm sorry? 172. Foxtrot Mike. Oh, that very rare exotic performance airplane. Yeah. <laughs> that explains Yeah, everything. because, you know, you have to really study up on those, you know, for, to be uh, an examiner on a, on a Skyhawk. I think I paid 225 for my check ride. Now that was 1995, so you, you yeah, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, there. and I have no recollection. I, I, hang and on, I hang on a second. I'll tell you all what I paid for a check ride four years ago. Okay, um, and and, that, I, and it was in my own airplane. I didn't have to rent an airplane. Right now, you talk about um, sort of as a, a sidebar here. Um, you talk about the, uh, the, uh, the the skills that are necessary to be approved as a designated examiner and and one might one might waggishly observe not always right there's this story now floating around about uh an examiner in minnesota wisconsin um um, who turns out the examiner was not approved for some or not qualified um and as a result there's a whole bunch of pilots that are having to get retested um yeah i saw that 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 kind of yeah. sucks um i paid yeah. 500 dollars for an atp ride in, in 2016 i was curious about that okay yeah. well that's seems i didn't think it, i didn't think it was that big a deal yeah no i mean i i mean i that seems I, I don't know. I mean, I, what do I know? But that seems reasonable. reasonable. Perhaps isn't the word to use, but it certainly seems within bounds. Yeah, I mean, given the expense of all that training, yeah. another five hundred dollars doesn't seem like exactly. that's you know. Um, and and likewise, I you know, I mean, for an IFR, I would have expected five hundred ish to be fine, but thousand. I think he's, I want to say he said twelve hundred. All right, you know, I mean, that's you know. And by the way, that didn't inc- it did not include a free retest if needed. I mean, it was just nuts. It was nuts. You know, and, and okay. And he, by the way, he observed that um, that there's no standards enforced by the FISDO. It's totally free market. Right? It is a totally um, free market. Uh, that's, and so that's true. different examiners might charge less and or give free rerides um, or, um, you know, it's like all over the place he discovered. Well, um, and, know, and lest anyone comment about this, you, you certainly can get a free check, a free-ish check ride from an FAA examiner. You can. But you can't. You can. I mean, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, that's exactly yeah, you right. You can, but they are truly impossible to schedule. Right? And typically, they only the, the FAA inspectors at FISDOS typically, or exam with with examiner uh, um, authority, will typically only do exams for um, high end ratings or exotic aircraft or something uh-huh. like that. Yeah. You just went out and bought an F, a two seat F sixteen. Um, um, you'd have they'd have you'd have examiners standing in an FAA employee examiner standing in line. <laughs> you think that's the way it works? I suppose maybe it does for free. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, but, but how many even of them would be qualified to? Well, do that's that ride? that's another question. Um, one suggestion for 
um, the pilot you're speaking of, Jack, would be to consider consider um, somewhere like uh, Embry Riddle at Prescott or, or something. You know, I, I should say Prescott, where Embry Riddle is. There's certainly other um, uh, flight schools in the area or in, in, in Prescott, but a, a location like that, mm-hmm. uh, and go out, take two weeks, set it all up beforehand. Of course, t- take a week, two weeks, whatever it takes. Um, go out, fly that airplane, fly the airplane at the FBO, f- um, fly the, the approaches, familiarize yourself, do everything you need to do to bone up for the check ride, and take the check ride out there. I'd bet you'd save money before the smoke clears. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. You'd probably get through it a lot quicker, too. Yeah. 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 Go, to, go to a dedicated school to finish it up. Okay. Interesting stuff. Thank you. Um Jeb, what have you been up to? What's going on? Well, um, basking, basking, and basking. Always um, basking. You live quite the basking life. Well, down there. Yeah, I just I just did finish up the September issue of, of Safeties uh, last week, so or I should say Monday. Um, so I, I'm still kind of recuperating in, in this kind of thing, but uh, also just you know taking care of some other things around the house. Um, mm-hmm. Airplanes in for its annual. Um, oh. So that's something I spent some time on yesterday, chasing down some parts and things. So you left it behind out there at that FBO that you use. It's in, it's in Venice for okay. for its annual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't you just do that last year? You know, <laughs> I thought so too. I, I just it just keeps you know just keeps piling up. But uh, yeah. you um, just get this done for a few years. I mean, really? I know. Anyways, you expecting any uh, gotchas? Or I actually dodged a gotcha. Um, there's an AD on the cylinders on my airplane. <clears throat> yeah. Um, those who pay attention to such things, I have a set of superior millenniums installed in the 0203 time frame on the engine. And I don't know, 09 started a successive series of, of airworthiness directives against those jugs. Uh, there, there's nothing wrong with the jugs. You know, they're, they're old, and, and uh, I am going to have to pull one. Well, I've got pulled one already for the annual and sent it off to a shop to see if they can rework it. It was blowing some air past the rings and valves. But uh, I'm, I have every confidence that they can they can re-ring it or, or whatever they need to do and, and, and repair it and return it to service. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these ADs started piling up for, in my view, kind of sort of no good reason. But... Um, the la- a year ago when we did the the uh, the AD, it was noted that I basically had one more calendar year on the jugs before I had to retire them per the AD. <clears throat> and uh, so I took the airplane in, um, got confirmation that yeah, that's what we have to do. Is it's like all right, well, well, let's just do a whole top job. Let's replace all six cylinders, which starts to get into five digits really quick. Mm-hmm. And um, so delivered the airplane on one day and um, was surfing around working on the magazine actually uh, the next day, and I came across an article on AOPA's website talking about another extension. There's been extensions on these ADs for a number of years. Another extension had been uh, this, put in place for this is related this AD. to or not related to pandemic. No, Unreal. not related. Well, the pandemic was mentioned in okay. in the extension um, newsletter uh, news article on on the AOPA website, um, but 
in actuality, the process began before the pandemic. I see. Okay. Okay. Yep. But p- bottom line is, I bought another actually two years. Um, so, you know, I did have some good news mm-hmm. out of the whole thing to answer good. your question. There you go. Yeah. Well, good deal. Well, good luck with yeah. that. I'll, I'll yeah, knock wood. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm sure they'll find something else. But well, of know. course, that's what they do. Yeah, yeah. that's what they yeah. do. Now, you, you've got a lot of ex- – I, I seem to recall you've had good experiences with this FBO. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I know them. Um, um, we've worked together on other projects, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, there's all that. And you know, then one of the things that uh, – they found when they did a gear swing this year is the uh, dynamic brake. And I'm, I'm using finger quotes um, when I say that. It's a, <clears throat> the, the gear is electromechanical. There's a motor that turns a gearbox that, that pivots and extends and retracts various rods. And, and that's how the gear system works. Yeah. Um, the motor has, uh, in the circuit controlling it, it has various relays, and when it trips um, a micro switch as the everything turns through its motions, it's supposed to freeze the motor with a, a dynamic brake. The relays work to basically stop the motor, and um, that function was not working very well. And mm. the, the diagnosis is that the motor needs to be overhauled. Um, so one shop wants um $1,500 flat rate to overhaul that motor. I happen to know some other people um, who have overhauled motors, and I save $500 on the transaction. So okay. the, the, normally the shop would have sent the motor out to the $1,500 option, but because I know some people who know some people who know some people, I right. can get the same motor for $500 less. Well. Good for you. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Good so this, that that's, you know, object lesson of the episode on managing your airplane's maintenance and managing your annual inspections. Make friends. Make friends. Make lots of friends. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, Jeb, you put this on the list. I don't know if you know much about it, but what's the story with this airport um, in Gillette, Wyoming? I don't know that much about it except what's in the news article. Um Summarize. Let me let me let me back up though, and let me um, um, introduce a new term, perhaps to the to the podcast, which is ATC zero, which is FAA's terminology for when uh, an uh, an FAA air traffic control facility cannot function, cannot fulfill its mission, and there are shades of that gray uh, going backwards from full failure to partial capability, which all of which could be uh, related to either manpower or, or technology or simply you know, power outages, whatever. Whatever the problem is, that's the FAA uh, measurement for the, the facility's uh, capability. Now, the pandemic has resulted in several episodes of what we what what the agency calls fa or i'm sorry what the agency calls atc zero where the facility is closed period kaput and and until further notice because okay. of illness because the controllers are or came right. out positive or in fact were ill and called in or, or whatever the or the what, facility became contaminated and needed all of the above Right, uh, and that's happened, and in, in control towers certainly it's happened at the Las Vegas Tricon. I think it's happened at the at the uh, uh, air traffic control center uh, level uh, during the pandemic. I can't 
tell you which specific facility. Mm-hmm. But the punchline is um, there are procedures in place for when um, uh, aircraft, air traffic control towers and other facilities close. In this instance, in part also because of the pandemic, traffic at Gillette, Wyoming is way down. Mm-hmm. And there's a news story in which I guess this is the local uh, UHF station, a TV station, uh, says the uh, tower is closes, closing, but adds commercial flights or a commercial flight. Um, and the tower is closing, and the, the quote is um, from someone who says, we see approximately 20,000 flight operations per year here, um, the, the speaker said. A common wisdom is that financially any labor cost over about $2 per flight operation is excessive. Our cost per operation was closer to $28 per operation Ooh, wow. Yikes. Uh, at, at this particular control tower. Now, I don't know why all that is. Um, except, you know, it, it does cost money to hire and retain good people, and air traffic controllers, uh, by definition, are highly trained. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've, they're closing the tower. The punchline to me in all of this is, A, we probably don't need as many control towers as we have, right. although they come in handy. Um, B, um, this is probably going to get worse, not better. And C, you can go ATC zero anywhere right now. Still, you can be you can be en route to a destination, and before you get there, the control tower has to close because someone tested positive. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I guess be prepared is the is the ultimate punchline. Absolutely, we've talked about that before on this podcast. I think we probably pandemic. have. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it's a good thing to remind people of um, that all kinds of things can change even in flight. Um, yeah, so uh, so so the, the the sort of oversimplify this story is that we've got an airport that used to have enough traffic to merit a tower, and now it has less traffic, um, and so it no longer merits a tower. Which on one level is fine because non-tower, low-traffic, non-towered airports operate just fine. Um, my question then, I guess, next question would be: Are there any particular operations at this airport that are dependent on the tower? And uh, and you know, I, I don't know if that's the story addresses that. But that would um, be the gotcha for me. All right, is uh, none by definition. Um, no flight operation, I don't think, can depend upon a control tower. Right. Pre- are predicated on sure. a control tower because um, even airlines will land occasionally. Sure, at, at will operate out of and, and that's airports. you know that's what they're that's what they're doing here basically. Um, when uh, I think it was Las Vegas, it was some tower. It wasn't. I don't think it was Las Vegas. I think that was a Tracon, but some some big tower had to close early in the pandemic, and. It, mm-hmm. it, the the joke was all of these airline pilots had to relearn um, CTAF and procedures and and making position calls in the, in a VFR traffic pattern and things like that, and that that was real because yeah. you know they yeah. did have to do that um, for the for a lot of us that's not a big challenge. Yeah, David, any thoughts on this whole thing? Well. 
Not really. Okay. You guys, you guys covered it pretty well. That's I, a perfectly I, fine. That's a perfectly. I, I have I have followed it and uh, uh, curious about some of the cost per operation numbers. That yeah, started, yeah. And, you know, also point out too. Um, there's two kinds of control towers out there. There's FAA. Um, sponsored FAA-operated control towers, and there are um, private or third-party uh, uh, um, corporate towers. Mm-hmm. Um, when an airport meets the requirements, and requirements include uh, numbers of operations, uh, numbers of specific types of operations, et cetera, et cetera, it's a complicated formula, the FAA will, will build and, and operate a control tower for you. Mm-hmm. When those numbers drop down to below a certain threshold, the FAA will no longer operate that control tower, even though it's it's already been built. Right. And that's when the city or county or whatever airport authority will come in and hire people, or perhaps enter a contract with a <clears throat> excuse me with a third party company to operate that control tower, and they will have to pay for it. The FAA won't pay for it any longer. And I think that's a lot of what we're talking about here. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Agreed. interesting. Yeah, interesting. Okay, sounded sounded like a contract tower. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, one last subject here. Uh, so uh, before we press record, um, when we were just chatting, we were we were we were, we were toying with the subject of what the three of us are going to be like as as grumpy old men. Um, and, <laughs> what do you mean going to be like? Well, no, we're still young and vital. We're you know we're not old by um, by some definitions. That's true. By other yeah. by other definitions, we are old grumpy men. Yeah, okay. It's all relative. It's all yeah. relative. Mainly um, though, what year you were born, but go ahead. But but here's my here's my actual question, which is uh do you expect to still be flying at age ninety nine? Because this guy is. Yeah. I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to be. Yeah. Uh I don't expect to make it to ninety nine. Oh so well. you know it's only two or three years away. What the hell? Well, there's that. There's that. <laughs> there's that. But uh, um, um, I, 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 I will be, you know, I will be swept up uh, in whatever's coming. Let's just put it that way. Okay. All right. Well, in the meantime, let's say uh, uh, yippee yay for it. Now, oh, see, look at this. It's an interview. What's this guy's name? Uh, uh, Rabina Asti. It's a woman. A woman. A okay. woman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, my goodness, I'm terribly sorry. That's <laughs> so much for my so much for my 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 male feminist role uh, credentials here. Um, Robina Asti uh, is apparently 99 years old and still an active pilot. And uh, uh, and and Robina uh, is uh, trying to break two world's records um, as the oldest active pilot and the oldest active flight instructor. Uh, so. Uh, this is terrific. I, I think Jeb put this on the list. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Do you know anything more about it? Than, I'm just kind of summarizing from, from reading it. Here. Yeah, not really. She uh, Just just reading it, um, I, I get a feeling that maybe she grew up in, in uh, South America. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's not clear from that, but uh, she, she lives and flies still in, in California now. Um, thousands of hours, obviously. Um, I guess reading reading further down here, it does it does seem that she's a U.S. citizen, U.S. born, um, born in twenty one, served in the Navy in World War II, 
um, oh, I see. Um, she she had a sex change operation, gender transition in the seventies. Uh, okay, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, been a flight instructor all this time. Um, very yeah. cool. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Congratulations to her for that. That's uh, that's an, an awesome thing. And yeah. uh, you know what? I well, you know, we'll see how it goes. But it would be fun to still be an active pilot at ninety nine. Oh yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. That would be great, you know. And and they're getting better and better at this stuff. If the COVID don't get me, I'm I'm good to go. Um, so, anyways, congratulations to Rovina. Uh, I think that's it. I think it's I think it's fork time here, boys. Uh, I uh, appreciate your your taking the time. Um, uh, that's uh, Dave Higdon. Uh, Dave is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. Uh, you can find his work online at abbuyer.com um, and aea.net. And on Twitter, he's Real Higdon. And uh, Jeb Burnside, a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, and also as a frequent, frequent contributor to other aviation publications. Online, you can find Jeb's work at aviationsafetymagazine.com. His magazine is on Twitter as, as avsafetymag, um, and you can also find him at aea.net, at avweb.com, and on Twitter, he's Burnside J. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Uh, some of the places you can find me online are Twitter slash Jack Hodgson, YouTube slash Jack Hodgson, Patreon slash Jack Hodgson, and you can find my ebooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the books section. And you can sign up for my email newsletter at jackhodgson.com. Hey, David, was there something we were going to tell us? Well, this lady that we were talking about looking for records, she's proof of what I've been saying for years. Time spent flying is not subtracted from her lifespan. And she's done enough flying to get to almost 100. So we wish her luck on the records. There you go. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And remember that flying is not dangerous. Crashing is dangerous. <laughs>